Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopech, your host for this evening. Joined, as always, by my good friend and colleague, Dr. Frey. Dr. Frey, here we are midweek. How's your week going so far? Fantastic. I'm here doing the show. We got our usual booth here. We're starting off a good beer here at Neck of the Woods. And uh, we have a great topic on Hanford tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, another NBA injury. We've already touched on two. We had LeBron James and uh, Joel Embiid. But, you know, something that's going on right now with the NBA is these soft tissue injuries, uh, primarily to James Harden uh, and a lot of other guys as well, which we'll touch on. Uh, but we have Dan Gorin with us tonight, one of our physical therapists at Recon Sports. And Dan, can't thank you enough for joining us on your day off. Hey, nice to be here, guys. Excited to, excited to be with you and talk some about James Harden. I love hoops, so happy to talk about this. Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, education, everything like that. Okay, yeah, so I, I did undergrad at Gettysburg College, studied uh, psychology and health and exercise science, um, then decided to, uh, did a couple of years actually of uh, neuroscience research at National Institutes of Health. Um, after that, decided that research wasn't for me for about a million different reasons. <laughs> and wanted to do something more clinical and I've always had a passion for health and exercise science so I decided to go into physical therapy I uh, went to University of Delaware and received my doctorate in physical therapy there in 2012 and have been practicing ever since uh, two years ago uh, received a sports clinical specialty um, which was you know more on the field hours trying to try to put my Jason hat on do some ATC ish uh, stuff and, and try to learn a little bit more from your world and then uh, just trying to continue to learn uh, at, at uh, Recon orth uh, Orthopedics and, uh, and the Energy Lab here. Okay. I mean, Dan, we, we, we both come from a sports background here. Is there anything more frustrating from a treatment side than a, a hamstring injury? Oh, it's, 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 one of the, it's one of the worst. I mean, I, I, uh, I think everyone is a clinician from athletic trainers, from physicians, from physical therapists really struggle with hamstring um, injuries. Uh, and I think that one of the things we have to look about, and I know Dr. Frey is going to talk about the anatomy, is the complexity and the absolute length and how large the muscle is. You know, um, it's a massive muscle. It's, it's made up of three different muscles, and a lot can go wrong when you have three muscles and uh, three, you know, a similar origin, but three different insertions. And uh, one of the insertions is, as Dr. Frey, I'm sure, will talk about it, the, the meniscus, which presents its own host of issues. But yeah, incredibly frustrating to treat. For our listeners out there, if you've ever had one, it's incredibly frustrating to have. And the return to sport is also another um, kind of hot topic. And you're seeing it with James Harden as, you know, kind of when, when to do it, when is the best time to do it, and, and should you do it super early or should you kind of wait super late? It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting conversation for sure. Yeah. You know, let's, let's give a quick background here. We, we don't need to discuss how important James Harden is. He was a huge acquisition for the Brooklyn Nets in the offseason. You know, obviously averaging 25 points a game, 11 assists, over eight rebounds, Doc. Um, so he has this original, I hear it all the time, right? March 31st, he comes up hamstring tightness. And we don't really know how significant it is at that point. He misses two games. He returns on uh, April 5th and then is out indefinitely at that point, right? And, and it's, it's almost kind of like karma, right? He, he, he originally injures it against his former team, the Rockets, on the 31st. But they're always, it's, it's just a frustrating injury, Doc. I mean, when we, when we as athletic trainers or physical therapists or, you know, you see a patient in the office with a hamstring injury, how is it from your side of things? 
Yeah, it's always a little bit tough because uh, it's it's hard to give some concrete answers with this one frequently. And that, that's frustrating for the athlete. Frankly, it pisses them off. They want to have an idea of how long they're going to be out, how long it's going to take, when are they going to get back. And then this is one of those things, man, where, where it kind of hangs around. And once you've had one injury, you're more susceptible to have a repeat injury. And sometimes this turns into a chronic problem. And some one guy's back in a week, and the next guy's back in two months. And, and you know, I think sometimes people are looking at you and wondering, why did it take me so long to get back? And it's just one of those frustrating things where there isn't, you know, we have some good answers. There, We have some good data, and we're going to get into that a little bit during the show here. But uh, unfortunately, it is still a hamstring injury, a soft tissue injury. You see this sort of scenario with calf strain sometimes also where it just... It, it, there's, there's, it's pretty variable. And, you know, talking about Harden, you know, it happened to him on the, uh, on the fifth, like we talked about. This is not his first hamstring injury. No. He's had a couple in his career at this point. Right. He was out in 2017. He was out in 2018. There have been a few thigh injuries along the way, and, and, and presumably those aren't hamstring injuries. But you know what? Maybe, maybe they were. We don't know. So, so it is. It's one of those things sometimes once you tweak it, once it goes, now, now, now it's going to be a problem for, for forevermore. And it's a frustrating thing, right? Like I've been in that role as an athletic trainer. You have this guy, and everybody wants to know. Coaches want to know. Organization wants to know. How long is it going to be? And it's and everything with him, with his timeline, is adding up, right? He misses two games, then he comes back, and the day he comes back, he re-aggravates it. Then he gets an original. I think Steve Nash, the head coach for the Nets, comes out and says it's going to be about seven to ten days. Which obviously Steve Nash is getting that information from his medical staff. Uh, on April 20th, uh, a week ago, they turned James Harden loose. He's doing some rehab, probably some more intensive stuff uh, with the team. And he has a setback. And now we get that it's an indefinite out. And Dan, uh, I've been in that role, right? Like I've made that, I always call it, it's that lonely, long walk to the head coach's office, right? Where I got to walk down this hallway and say, I tried to ramp it up, and I probably just set him back further. You what? No, yeah, no, no, no. And, and that's a that's a tough thing, right, Dan? But what are we seeing from the uh, you know from the rehab standpoint that you know it's like hey he he was testing fine, his strength was there, his range of motion was there, he wasn't feeling pain day to day activities. Yeah, so I had him do a, a twenty yard seventy five percent sprint uh, or something along those lines, but. Dan, you've been in that situation. Have you, have you seen something similar to that? Yeah, so so you're asking me, I'm sorry, I'm having a little trouble here. You said I've ever, ever been faced with something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, like, how often do yeah. you see it where you think somebody's like, hey, you're ready to, you know, ramp it up yeah. a little bit, and then it's just like, damn. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We so actually, maybe, off, maybe this was a little bit too quick. So first off, I think we should all as clinicians give ourselves a little bit of slack because I think we all – I know you too. I've worked with a you know a good amount now. Um, you know we all take our jobs seriously. And we want the best for our patients. And we want the best outcomes. But as far as from a coach's standpoint and from a physician standpoint and from a colleague or teammate standpoint, we should all look at the clinician and, and kind of always have a good understanding that there's so much inherent risk with what we do and, and, and setbacks. And the coach has to have that understanding. You know, if you ramp that up, it, it, it might it might not go go great. So first off, I think we all need to just kind of. Um, give ourselves, uh, you know, our own slack. But again, that's not a fun, fun trip to the coach's office telling them, you know, the player is going to be out for more time. And, right. and really, I, I think that one of the things that's helped me, and 
in my career with dealing with some of these injuries and especially with return to play is treating everyone. Um, and I, Dr. Frey talked about the variability about how long it takes certain players to come back and how long it takes um, other players to come back. And I, I talk about this with low back patients all the time, but I think there's relevant here is that when you see snowflakes fall from the sky, every snowflake's a little different, right? And I look at that with hamstring injuries. I think that we rush in PT school, we rush um, to classify injuries. We love to classify return to sport timeframes. We love to, to put everyone in their own little box based on their injury. I think I've had much more successful outcomes and much better results by just taking everything as it comes and looking at everyone individually and seeing where, where they are and, um, and, and trying to use, you know, as many, you know, um, solid tests as possible, um, you know, that we have available to us. So just good, good method, good methodology with your rehab, um, slow progressions and just letting it be a little bit and, not trying to rush, but again, I have that luxury as a as a therapist in the clinic much more than you do as an athletic trainer. I know working with professional sports teams if you have in the past, so yeah. it's easy for me to say is, is my point. Sure, D- Doctor Frey, how how different can the classifications be for hamstring injuries? You know, w- whether or not it's how we grade them or how we image them and w- what we see uh, through those MRIs. So, I, I think that we group. Group them all into hamstring injuries, but but in actuality, there's there's a fair amount of variability in, in the injuries. The first divergent pathway is where is the injury, right? So so you can have what we call proximal hamstring injury. So so where the tendon um, where it comes off of the bone, so the origin of the of the of the hamstrings, where it it can slightly tear, partially tear, completely pull off a bone. There typically are three tendons that come off of what the, the ischium, which is called your sit bone, which is the sit bone, it's called the ischium. Um, they, they, they tend to attach kind of a little up uh, lateral, they're kind of, kind of up on the side. And you can have a single tendon tear, a two tendon tear, or a three tendon tear, and then those tendons, as they tear, they can pull away from that bone. And that, that all factors into the variability of the treatment. Uh, for these bigger tears with more retraction, when they pull off a bone, typically we operate on those. Um, and if they are only partially torn or if they didn't pull away from bo- pull away from the bone, then lots of times we'll go non-op. Sometimes it eventually turns into surgical intervention. Those are a little less common than the more common type of injuries for your hamstrings. So full-on muscle belly injuries where, where the, the injury happens within the, the, the actual muscle girth of the hamstring or <coughs> if the injury happens where the tendon is becoming muscle, so musculotendinous junction, those are much more common injuries. And those typically are not surgical injuries, but those can happen in, in, in um, different sort of um, level of intensity. There's different extremes. So, so on your, your more mild grade one muscle belly injury, you're going to have a um, little bit of disruption. If, and and this, this would be more of an MRI classification, right? So a little bit of disruption. You see a little bit of fluid on the MRI, but there's no discontinuity of the, of the muscular tendon junction or there's no discontinuity of the, of the muscle belly fibers. Uh, in grade two, you have less than 50% discontinuity. And then in grade three, you would have uh, more than 50% discontinuity. Typically, all of those are going to heal without surgery. There are different things that we can do, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. PRP has a role potentially here. A little more controversial, but there's some data to suggest that uh, steroid chats actually may shorten the time to recovery, which, which kind of goes against the grain with a lot of other things in sports medicine, but it is one of those areas where maybe it makes a difference. And then um, uh, there are 
clearly, clearly physical therapy and specific kind of exercises that we're going to talk about. More of your eccentric strengthening is, is the way to go in terms of trying to expedite or enhance recovery. So, so again, there's a ton of variability. There's also what we call distal hamstring tears or distal hamstring injuries, where, where the tendon that attaches down near the shin bone uh, has the injury, as opposed to the one that comes off of your pelvis near your sit bone. Um, those are far less common and um, pretty controversial in terms of how you handle them. Uh, there are those that recommend fixing those surgically every time, and the, there are those who would also argue that, you know what, we, we, we take those hamstrings lots of times, uh, depending on how you do your ACL reconstruction, uh, to do a hamstring autograph where you take those tendons to, to become your new ACL, and that person does just fine. Like, do you really need to go and repair that? There's um, uh, really no real consensus on the treatment of that. But, but really, so the, the, because we group so many different injuries, really three separate different injuries, proximal hamstring tears or injuries, mid-substance or musculotendinous being group number two, and then distal hamstrings being group number three, because there's so much variability um, thrown into this, this one group hamstring injury, there's tons of variability in terms of time to heal, how we approach it, how do you get people you know, back the most quickly. Dan, um, in, in your experience, what's the toughest one of the three that Dr. Frey just touched on, that proximal, mid-belly, distal hamstring strain? What is the most difficult to rehab and get somebody back to playing? Uh, very curious to hear whether or not it's something that I've, uh, you know, if it lines up with my experience as well. For me, it's uh, proximal. Anything yeah. proximal could be an absolute disaster. Always, and right? Yeah, always. Almost always. I mean... I, I just it, when I see proximal hamstring, especially, and it's not very common. People think um, I don't know what what the, the, the protocol is in med school, but I think that you know internists, the only thing they know about orthopedics or learn about orthopedics in med school. Doc, you got to correct me if I'm wrong, but it's bursitis, right? That's I, I see that on screen. Everybody <laughs> says bursitis. Everyone says bursitis, right? That's that's a, that's a joke, right? Um, but but in all seriousness, there is a bursa there, yep. and that. Um, and that proximal hamstring, in my experience, is a complete disaster. Um, you get the bursts involved, it's even more of a disaster. Um, and it's just very frustrating. Is that what, you, what you've seen, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It just doesn't respond well to, to treatment, to rehab, to modalities. Uh, not nearly as well as, uh, and I'm not even discussing, you know, the things that Dr. Frey just touched on, like the PRP and things like that. Right. It just takes so much longer to respond. Um, even, even from like a pain aspect, I feel like the athletes just say like it just hurts longer and uh, everything like that. So I, I want to draw a little distinction here. I think that your average individual, right, uh, I don't know, 40-year-old guy who's, you know, jogs a little bit here, a little bit of a weekend warrior and whatnot, and he gets that proximal hamstring tear, or that proximal hamstring rupture, even if there's a little bit of retraction, those guys actually don't do too bad, right? Like, like you're, you're not, you're not high-level athlete, high-level intensity. I think that the high-level athlete, um, maybe, maybe because their margin for error is smaller, they have a little bit of a harder time bouncing back from that particular injury. You might be a little more aggressive in trying to fix that proximal hamstring avulsion. Even some of the times where it's not fully avulsed, uh, you can have what we call sort of intra-substance there. So the, the the outside of the tendon is still attached, but the inner core of the tendon has pulled pulled down and pulled away a little bit. And those are really tricky, even from a surgical standpoint, because unless you know that going in, once you're looking at it, you look at the tendon, you're like, it looks fine, like it's still attached. And unless you know that, hey, no, no, this is this is one of those tricky ones where you got to take it down and then re-repair it, you, you may not get the outcome you're hoping for. Dan. Um 
when you get this referral over at, at, at PT uh, on the recon side, the energy lab side, and it says, you know, you have a hamstring strain, tear, grade one, what, whatever, one, two, three, how do you approach this in a nutshell? I know this is probably a longer conversation, but overall, what are your goals? What are you looking to do in whatever time frame you have? Yeah, I think the first uh, the first thing I I want to look at is the irritability. You know, how irritable is the patient? And uh, the thing that's going to tell me most about that is your manual muscle testing, which is you just have the patient in a prone position, yeah. and you can look at both hip extension because we often forget that the hamstring is a two joint muscle. It does play a major role in hip extension yeah, as it crosses the hip joint. It's one um, of the reasons why it's so susceptible to injury. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it is a hip, and I'll talk a little bit more about that with the glute ball, but. Yeah, so get them on their stomach. You test the hip extension. You test hip flexion. I like the two test hip flexion in different planes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hip flexion. Knee flexion. Sorry about that. So hip extension, and then I'm testing knee flexion. Um, Knee flexion with the foot in a neutral position. So when you uh, put the foot in a neutral position, you're just getting a general gauge of how irritable it is. You can also turn the foot inward to bias the muscles on the medial side, and you can turn the foot outward to bias uh, bias the bicep femoris on the uh, lateral side. So there's just different ways you can position the foot to see possibly where the hamstring is more irritable. Is it more of the, the medial structures, the semimembranosus, the te- semitendinosus, which are the two inside muscles, the medial muscles, or is it the laterals of the biceps femoris? So that's step one. How irritable are they? Where is it? Kind of what am I? De- what am I dealing with? And I think that one of the um, the the primary thoughts in my rehab is okay. The, you're always looking for why, right? Why is the most important? Why is this person having um, you know hamstring issues? And, and you have to look at the the components of triple extension with the push off, right? So as you're playing a sport, as you're running, it's all about the push off. And what you have there is a massive hip extension moment, and you also have to push off the plantar flexion that comes from the leg. So so think about doing a heel raise. And that's the push-off, right? But at the same time, you're getting a massive glute contraction. You're getting the hamstrings, which is going to extend the hip, and also um, have some ancillary motion as it flexes the knee and swing. And then you have the plantar flexors going. So you have this massive extension moment. Are the glutes firing the way they need to be? Are the gastrocs firing the way? So I think testing glute strength, making sure the glutes are strong enough, um, functionally looking at your glute strength with bridges and squats, and then also testing your plantar flexor strength, making sure that you could do a heel raise making sure you could bang out 20 on each leg without any problems, making sure that the plantar flexors aren't an issue because those could lead to the hamstring strains overall. So look, first, look at irritability. Second, you have to give me a reason not to do soft tissue and hammer the soft tissue in the hamstring. I mean, I'm going to blast that with every tool in my arsenal as far as deep tissue mobilization, especially with higher-level athletes. And then we're going to do probably some light warm-ups, some stretching, and lots and lots and lots of hamstring loading, both concentrically, eccentrically, isometrically any way and variation we can hold with it to what they can tolerate and one thing i forget about and i I don't do it as consistently as i should is never forget you can do hamstring isometrics um very valuable tool especially early on but then we want to progress into doing bridges getting the glutes and the hamstrings firing at the same time a lot of different bridge variations we can uh bias the hamstrings with there's a million different hamstring exercises the one that i will throw out there is as far as clinicians you have to be hammering your deadlift single leg remaining deadlifts, RDLs, um, and based on the, the varying angles of hip uh, flexion with the deadlift, you're going to be biased and hamstring more or less. So know your hip angles, hammer your RDLs. And the reason the reason I love the RDLs and why it's such a staple of almost every program I have, but especially for hamstrings, is you're going to get a lengthening of the tissue. So you get a good, controlled, eccentric lengthening of the tissue on the way down. So you're lengthening the tissue, 
And then all, at the same time, you're strengthening the tissue. And in the terms of single leg RDLs, now you're working on balance and you're also getting a good deal of glute involvement. So if you're asking me the best exercise ever for, for hamstring rehab, it's a single leg RDL. Um, and, and that's all I got for you. <laughs> I like I ended it. Dan, so uh, at this point, here we sit. Uh, it's the 28th of April. We know that Steve Nash came out again, Brooklyn's head coach. Uh, yeah. We know right now James Harden is shooting and, as as uh, Coach put it, doing some strength work. So let's assume the strength work is with either you, the PT, myself, the ATC, or one of the many strength coaches with the Brooklyn Nets. He just had a setback about a week ago. What is your next step as the treating physical therapist, um, if you were, which we know you that we're not treating James Harden, what is the next step, right? Like the shooting drills, the strength work is all a very controlled environment. Uh, he, he can shoot on the court all day long without really stressing that hamstring. But what do you see as the physical therapist that lets us know he's ready to take that to the next level? And again, it, it's tough, right? Because we, we've already known that he's had a setback. When do you feel confident to give it another go? And, and that's always something I've been troubled with as an athletic trainer uh it's like well i already set this guy back another you, you know it's it's a constant battle with myself and i never had the luxury of having the physical therapist with recon on site like we do now but you know when do you feel confident dan to turn it back over to like let, let's try some high high intensity stuff let's really stress that hamstring oh man that's a that's a great question i i think that for me the most, the single most important thing, and again, I'm sure the people will disagree with me on this, but I always ask this question of my reevals. I always ask it of athletes before return to sport, and there's good, um, there's some good data that are, that involves more fancy questionnaires. But I'm always asking zero to 100 percent. How do you feel? You know, yeah. you got to think. James Hart, he's a Ferrari, right? Yeah. Uh, you get to treat him. You know, you get to open up the hood and tweak it, but that's his body, and he knows it really, really well. Yeah. So when I um. So if, if I'm put in that situation, I'm always going to defer to, um, to the athlete and say, you know, zero to hundred percent. How do you feel? Another good question I ask is, um, is gun to your head. Do you think you go play a game right now? Like if it's right. game seven, I right? love like, that. You, Dan, I love that question, man. I use it all the time myself. If today, yeah, gun if, to your head, if, if today was uh, if today was a championship game, if today was a playoff game, can yeah. you play? Yeah. Keep going, man. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that, that would be the two questions now. From a strength standpoint, you know, I, I'm going to keep it simple, super personal. Let's do your manual muscle testing. But how do they look with a single leg kind of pistol squat? How do they look on their RDLs? How do they feel their RDLs? Are all their exercises pain-free? And then and just take it easy, you know. Start with a 50% jog, you know. You're not going to run the hamstring issues with a 50% jog. And then, like your example, you know, earlier where you're getting to 75%, I think just a good warm-up, good activation – really get them sweating you know be it on the assault bike or you know one of the uh, high intensity cardio machines something that's not going to flare them up like running might really get them rocking and rolling and get the get them in a really good lather a really good sweat and then let them rip up and down the, the turf you know like we have the turf in our place or let them you know just run sometimes i'll just set the timer and let them run for like five minutes and say okay like how does it feel you know yeah. and, and i gotta uh, say yeah. I'm, I'm a little disappointed in you <laughs> you are in the philadelphia what? area and we are rooting for the sixers and we are worried about the Nets, and I would expect you to be pushing harder and a lot harder to eliminate the rest of the season. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, so in, in terms of basketball, the Brooklyn Nets are just just, just my arch nemesis this year. I can't stand anything about them. 
and I wish them all the worst. But I, you know, never want to see anybody hurt. Hard it's out there, so we can uh, beat up on them, right? Dan, last question for you, uh, and we're going to let you go because uh, you know you said you're joining us in your day off. We know you got some father duties to take care of uh, before the evening wraps up. The, the problem with pro sports is we never really get a full understanding of what the injury is right now. We know that the Brooklyn Nets sit a game and a half above our beloved Philadelphia Sixers. Uh, there's about less than a dozen games to go before the playoffs start. Is there a possibility that Harden's injury is this significant where we're saying he's out indefinitely? Or are we, if we're the Nets, are we doing a little bit of gamesmanship of uh, sitting him and making sure we don't have any re-aggravations prior to the startup? And again, there's, you know, the first couple rounds of the playoffs, you know, this one seed's going to play... Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I think there's ten teams making the playoffs this year. So you, you have, yeah, a, have a yeah, play-in game. Yeah. yeah, you have like a one ten possible. Oh, no, you're, you're right. There's a play. There's a playing game. But you know, essentially, you know, I think the Sixers, the the Nets, the Bucks are looking at a, a pretty easy. There's no guarantee in sports, but everyone's looking at the conference semifinals, the conference finals right now from the Eastern Conference standpoint. If we're the Nets, are we making sure he's ready to go come second, third round of the playoffs? I think the second round makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Although my 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 total dream for this whole thing is that everyone's healthy and somehow that they line up with the Knicks, you know, right. just because the Knicks have just been so downtrodden for so many years and yeah. have this beautiful resurgence, and the Knicks just blow them out of the water because they have this great chemistry and the great sure. vibes. So. Yep. That's what I'm hoping for. But, yeah, I think the second round sounds fair. Yeah. And, you know, there's no rush. Kevin Durant could go out there half asleep and beat half half the team to the East, so it doesn't matter, right? Right. right. Hey, and, Dan, before you go, you yeah. know, I just want to mention, number one, that you are joining us via satellite. Uh, this is our first go with uh, having having a guest on the show um, via the cell phone. And, and uh, I want to thank you for doing it, especially on your day off. And then number two, I also want to thank you for, for uh, a lot of your guidance in, in terms of getting this podcast set up. Uh, I know, but I don't know if a lot of the listeners out there know that you, that you have your own podcast. And would you mind telling us about that for a minute before you go? Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is a project I started uh, in uh, September of 2019 with two buddies. So one is a physical therapist um, that I've known since PT school. The other is a former Navy special uh, warfare operator. So it's a good mix of guys. You know, he does, um, my, my buddy that did, uh, is a PT, used to compete in strongman. My other friend and I like to do CrossFit and just run and, and do all sorts of silly, uh, silly, insane workouts. So we talk about it and try to give you some good fitness stuff. It was nice to talk about rehab because I'm very much, you know, in a lot of ways a fitness novice. I'm forever learning. And, uh, and it's nice to talk about rehab, which I actually know some things about today. So that was great. Usually I just get roasted on my other podcasts. So if you want to hear something about 80 percent less professional than this i'd recommend the strategy of fitness so, so did your buddy carry the hoosfeld stone in the strongman competition what's that did he carry the hoosfeld stone i don't know that's I, I, part yeah, of the, yeah he, he i mean the atlas stones i think he's got to play uh, pounds, you know for the for the competitions to do the atlas stones it's like 300 is what they have to put on the thing right um yeah. i could he, he would tell you the whole thing i just i just know he does uh it's pretty awesome stuff spectacular man that's awesome Dan, thank you very much for coming on and joining us uh, again, especially on your day off. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, both you guys, for having me, and I uh, look forward to seeing you at work tomorrow. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, later. Right. Before we wrap things up, let me get your thoughts. Yeah. Um, we got another big topic to talk about here tonight. Um, where do you think things are going with the draft tomorrow? 
Well, it, well, from the Eagles standpoint, or I, I really look at things from an Eagles standpoint. Right. Right. <laughs> We've had a lot of movement over the last couple of days. I mean, there's been a lot of reports about whether or not we're going to go. You know, we traded back already. We traded from six to twelve. We we gained a first round pick next year. Um, and now they're talking about, are they going to package that back and trade back up? I'm excited about the draft. Uh, I'm hoping the Eagles, I'll go on record here. I, I would love to see Kyle Pitts in an Eagles uniform. Good luck would, with that. <laughs> I would love to see him lined up with Dallas Goddard. I think it would really open up things for Jalen Rager, which, um, you know, I, I'm not a football expert. I'm not going to say he was a bust by any means, but... I think if you add in a guy like Pitts with Goddard, it's going to open up the field for Rager. I would love to see that. I, I'm a skilled guy. I, you know, I, I completely understand the importance of these O-line, D-line, and how important it is to the team's success. Um, I just hate to pick that early where it's not just going to be like this flashy playmaker. I can't wait to see where these quarterbacks fall. Right. I think it also opens up another pipeline, right? Like if, if one of these five or six quarterbacks drop to where the Eagles feel like they can grab them. I'm wondering if they're going to trade up from 12 to like nine just to grab one of these last guys. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see how it unfolds. Yeah, I think um, I think for Pitts, they would have to. They, my guess is that they would definitely have to trade up for that. Uh, and then, like you said, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe if they trade up to a lower position, eight or nine or something, they can, they can they can squeak away with one of one of the. Um, multiple, many yeah. stud quarterbacks that seem to be coming out yeah. this year. You know, and, and, and truth be known, I, I grew up in New York, right? Yeah. There are no... You're a Jets fan, right? No. no? <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I grew up a Steelers fan and, and still hold true. You know, in terms of the NFC, uh, you know, I'll root for, for the Eagles, but yeah. uh, I've been Steelers fan my whole life. Yeah. As luck would have it, ironic, I'm, uh, you know, I grew up rooting for New York teams and then and always loved the Steelers for whatever reason. Yeah. That was the one, the one outcast. But, but in terms of college football, like, you know, the closest college was probably Syracuse. Yeah. And, and, you know. My this, wife's alma mater, who is, is a, right? a subscriber and right. listener. Fantastic. Uh, shout out to my wife. She loves the Qs. Right, right. <laughs> um, and, and, but even, even Qs isn't really what, what, what it was, uh, yeah. uh, you know, a few years ago. And um, so, so college football wasn't a huge part of my life. Then, then I went to Binghamton, right? Yeah. They don't even have a football team. And then, and then I went to Georgetown, and they may as well not have a football team, right? But I don't know college football as well as I know the NFL. But I don't know. I, 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 I just I feel like sliding back to 12 is great that they got the extra pick. The NFL draft is not the NBA draft, right? It, there's a lot more variability. The NBA, they seem to get it right. The best guys get taken early. It's rare that the, the, the that guys who aren't as good get taken early in the NBA. But the NFL, you see busts all the time. So I think at 12, you can still get a great guy. Yeah. And, you know, being a Steeler fan, I forget where their pick is, 25, 26, whatever. It's pretty far down the list. You know, looking at the reports, Nigel Harris, man, that would be spectacular. It would be a perfect fit. I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Let's, go, like, let's do a real quick recap of our episode Hell real quick, yeah. right? Uh, I, maybe it's maybe it's not a good idea. I don't know if we want to be on record, but uh, let's start with our last one, Fernando Tatis. Yep. We said it's not too early for him to return. Yep. If you haven't noticed uh, or heard, over the past weekend they had that big series with the Dodgers who they're chasing for first place. He had a phenomenal weekend. Yep. Uh, Multi-homers, 
uh, RBIs. Uh, so I think we were one and zero there. Controversial, uh, but I agree. One and zero. We said it's not too early for him to return, and he returned and did great. LeBron James, mm-hmm. two uh, two episodes ago, uh, we said we don't expect him to come back anytime soon. Here we sit; he's still out. Yeah. Two and zero. Would you say? Agreed. Agree. Joel Embiid, our very, how we kicked this whole thing off, we said, you know, Dr. Bernardini was with us. Yeah. It seemed kind of a grayish area where he's probably going to return, but we wonder if there's a underlying issue there. And he's returned. Yeah. But I would have to say, as a, as a diehard Sixer fan, I think he might be falling out of the MVP race. Not not because of quality of play though, just yeah. just time missed. I mean, time missed. Um, he's actually been out a few other times with yeah. some other injuries. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say that's a loss. Maybe we'll say we're two zero and one at this point. That, that that's probably the best. I think, assessment. I think the long the long term assessment of Joel Embiid is going to be whether or not that falls as a win or a loss for us. Yeah, over time, uh, over time. So we just heard from Dan Gorin. Uh, he expects James Harden to probably be set through the first round of the playoffs. What are your thoughts? Let's go on record now. We'll, we'll catch up with this a few episodes down the road. I think it's a pretty good assessment, right? And again, we talked about how much variability there is on these yeah. particular injuries. So really having zero insight to, into his actual medical records, yeah. it makes it that, that much tougher to predict. Now that said, you know, in, in the mildest of, of, of these injuries, lots of times you see people bouncing back in like a week in a little more severe two weeks and sometimes three weeks and now you have an uh, more of this recurrent injury injured the same leg hamstring same hamstring a few different times over the course of a few years and even more recently just re-injured it trying to come back not not even pushing it hard but testing it with some drills and on the court i'd be really surprised to see him back before the end of the season even though that's something that uh, typically they would like they brought in uh, the Nets brought in you know, three studs, right? You got Durant, you got Kyrie Irving, and you got um, the guy we're talking yeah. about. And, um, and and then he also, you know, I, I, and, and to be perfectly honest, they brought in LaMarcus Aldridge, which I think was really, you know, geared towards trying to cover Embiid, right? Like they yeah. needed an answer for Embiid. And, you know, they have the, un, the unfortunate luck of Aldridge having this um, cardiac condition, uh, which we may get into in the future and he retires from basketball. So you still got these three studs. They've played together six times, six yeah. times this year. Right. right, so so there is certainly some urgency to try to get Harden back yeah. a little sooner or try to get him back before the playoffs. That said, I'm, I'd be surprised if it happens given the news we've been given. I think that the, the second round of the playoffs sounds about right. Yeah. Could it be the whole playoffs? Yeah, of course it could be. Could it happen before then? Yeah, of course it could. But I'm actually going to go right with Dan with this one. I would say second round of the playoffs is my prediction. Same here. Same here. Doc, I got one more surprise for you. What's up? So we're in uh, episode five now. Yeah. Someone has tapped into our sportsmed on tap at gmail.com with a question for you. Hell yeah. All right. We'll keep it short. Uh, it was Peter from Sewell. Uh, Peter, you're, you're right down the road from us, about 10 minutes from neck of the woods. Uh, we invite you to join us next time. Come have a beer with us. We can talk shop. Uh, but Peter reached out and said he, he listened to the episodes. We talked about these pro guys getting MRIs. Yeah. He has two children. Uh, he didn't specify age or what sport, but they've both been seen for orthopedic injuries. An MRI has not been ordered. Um, and he was just wondering, is it 
because of the level of this athlete and the money invested to them that an MRI is always given? Or should he be concerned that could there could his children have you know missed an underlying issue with the MRI? Or are we confident when we do the the testing in the in the uh, exam room that we can handle it without the MRI initially? It's I think it's a great question. Right? It is. It, it's basically like you know, he's looking at it from everybody rushes the you know the the James Harden's to these MRIs for a hamstring injury, but. Why is not the norm for the general population? Right. There's a few factors that go into that, and that, that is a great question, right? So in terms of the professional athlete, these teams, theoretically, they can own the MRI. They can own the magnet. They can do it whenever they want to do, and they have, they have contracts set up, even if they don't own the magnet, which often they don't. Yeah. Um, they have contracts set up with um, whatever provider that they can get their guy in to get the MRI whenever they need to get it. And... Part of that is to, so let's say, we're, we're talking about hamstring injuries. So let's let's say uh, James Harden gets a hamstring injury. You, you want to have a, an estimate from relatively early on, how long is he going to be out? So you want to know, do I need to bring in another guy? Do we need to bring in a, a stopgap? Do we need to sign somebody else? Or is it probable that he'll be back relatively soon? So sometimes you get the MRI earlier than you normally would just to get him healthy, just so you have a better understanding of the severity of his injury. Number two. So with a, with a hamstring injury, platelet-rich plasma, PRP, is, is a factor here. There are some studies out there that show that a PRP injection, and frequently they'll do it two or three days after the injury, and then another one five or seven, five to seven days after the injury, and then even a third one another you know, week after that, um, does theoretically potentially get an athlete back on the field sooner. A professional team with deep pockets and endless resources is able to do that. There, it's not all good. Um, to, to, to go to an MRI that early, generally when you're treating somebody. Let's say 95% of the time you're going to be able to have a, good, a reasonable idea of what happened and a reasonable idea of treatment expectations and how to get somebody better by, by um, physical exam, maybe an x-ray, um, and going through the treatment algorithm. And, and, and on occasion, if you do an MRI too soon, sometimes it looks like there's a bomb that's gone off, and like like er there's edema everywhere, and it can actually lead you to overtreat. So in the general population, when you don't need to answer questions like when is he going to be back, when uh, do I need to sign somebody else, um, and you don't have those extra questions floating around and that extra pressure, you don't necessarily want to go to that MRI too soon. You want to follow the standard algorithm uh, where where uh, Sometimes there are some injuries that require an MRI right up front, but lots of times it's, this is, looks like a standard injury, we're not, you know, ankle sprain. That'll be another one, uh, a reasonable one. You tend to overtreat if you MRI that too soon. You really don't want to do that. Most of those people are going to get better. You know, it's going to look like a bomb went off if you do an MRI at the beginning, but if you give it a little bit of time, they're going to get to the same point in the end anyway, and it's going to probably take the same amount of time. So it's just an extra cost, and sometimes leads to extra treatment, and extra treatment sometimes is detrimental. You're just dealing with a different set of circumstances that are guiding some of your decision making. But no, if, if, if your child had an injury to, to, to say, why didn't he get an MRI right from the get-go, that's not necessarily inappropriate treatment. To be perfectly honest with you, that it, most of the time that is absolutely the right and appropriate treatment, but it's just a different set of circumstances when you're dealing with these athletes. Well, that's going to about wrap it up for this evening's episode. Before we go ahead and close out our tab, Frank Price is here with us, co-owner and founder 
brewer here at Neck of the Woods Brewing Company. Frank, my favorite thing that I've had here so far is the stay in the car, Frank. We've talked about it on a previous episode. Go into a little bit more detail about the beer itself, where it originated from, and why is it so tasty? Yeah, full disclosure, that's my favorite beer too. So, uh, you know, stay in the car, Frank. Hey, look, it sounds like a line from like a Hollywood movie, yeah. right? Well, pretty much around here, that, that line has been kind of thrown around a lot. Hey, it's the name of our flagship IPA. What makes it, in my opinion, like so special, hopped with citra, mosaic, Eldorado, those are all juicy, citrusy hops. It's light, it's dry, refreshing. Actually, for this beer, you may not want to stay in the car. <laughs> you might want to stop out, come to the brewery, try one for yourself. And the stay in the car, Frank, right? I mean, that's uh, not only is it on tap here at Neck of the Woods, but you can get it canned to go. Absolutely. So it'll always be on tap here just because that is definitely our flagship IPA. And we will always have cans of it, too. But we're also located in 30 different liquor stores in the South Jersey area. So you can find us. You can go on our website, neckofthewoodsbrewing.com. Click the Find the Beer tab there. You can figure it out from there. Frank Price, again, co-founder here at Neck of the Woods. Thanks for joining us. We're going to head and close out the tab for this evening. Before we go ahead and close out our tab for this evening, we just want to go ahead and thank our sponsors, our good friends and colleagues at Reconstructive Orthopedics, the Energy Lab, the Sports Performance Premier Destination located here in Pittman, New Jersey, our good friends at Timber Reel Productions, our on-site producer, Joe Warner, Kyle Miller, our editor, Neck of the Woods Brewing Company for hosting us each and every episode, and the beautiful Total Turf Experience Complex, we want to thank you guys and have a great night.